0: Welcome to The Green Podcast, episode number six. In this episode, I speak to Rachel Platine, who's an expert on the cradle-to-cradle concept. Cradle-to-cradle, I'll just explain it briefly. Rachel will explain it in much more detail in our actual conversation. It can be contrasted with cradle-to-grave, which is the product cycle that most of the things we buy have. So they're kind of born and created in the cradle. And then at the end of their life, when we're done with them, they become waste and they end up in the grave, which is often landfill, or the oceans, or somewhere else where they do damage and where we don't really want them to be. In the cradle-to-cradle concept, products are designed so that at the end of their lives, they end up in the cradle again, in other words, as resources for new products. So in the cradle-to-cradle concept, everything, in theory, is a resource for something else. One of the aspects of Cradle to Cradle that I personally really like is the fact that they focus on not just doing less bad to the environment, but on actually doing good. So creating products that are not simply less harmful than existing products, but creating products that actually benefit the environment in some way. And kind of related to that is the concept of abundance, where if we actually create products that way, we don't have to live kind of austere lifestyles where we're constantly limiting ourselves. We can actually, at least in theory, if the concept is fully applied to everything, actually have everything that we want. So, Rachel herself works at the EPEA, which stands for Environmental Protection Encouragement Agency. They are based in Germany, not to be confused with the EPA in the United States. And what the EPEA does is they help businesses and organizations to apply the cradle-to-cradle concept to their products. Rachel is the products and scientific director. They actually have about 30 scientists, I think, working on their team, working with companies on their products. And in our conversation, Rachel explains in much more detail than I have here the cradle-to-cradle concept and also gives many examples of how it can be applied And this has been definitely one of my favorite interviews so far, because I am personally sold on the Cradle to Cradle concept. I think it is exactly what we need. And Rachel also does a fantastic job of explaining everything. I hope you enjoy the interview. Here it is. I'm here with Rachel Platine, who's the Projects and Scientific Director at the EPEA and is an expert on the application of the cradle-to-cradle concept. Rachel, welcome to the Green Podcast.
1: Hello, Justine. It's nice that uh, you give us the chance to present the cradle-to-cradle concept on your podcast.
0: Yes, so I myself, I first heard about the cradle-to-cradle concept actually less than three months ago when someone just happened to mention it to me. And from what I've learned about it since then, it seems to me like Cradle to Cradle is exactly what the world needs. So I'm very happy to have a conversation with you about it. And I'd like to start by asking you about yourself. So what is your background and also how did you end up in your current role with the EPEA, uh, helping companies to apply the Cradle to Cradle concept? Mm-hmm. So maybe if you can start with your background.
1: Yes, but I first of all want to say that I really agree with you because that's what really touched me to the cradle-to-cradle concept because I think it's something practical and something that is really needed in the world. So I really agree with your statement. (laughs) Well, my background, I'm a scientist. Basically, I was working on molecular biology of plants in research and must admit that all the environmental things, I was very much attached to it on one hand, but the green, what called the green concept seems to me something not completely relevant. Some, like, people are fighting against the wind. I mean, I was not accepting the idea that I shouldn't use a car, shouldn't fly, be uh, minimize the way I live, because I'm a modern person, I am a consumer like most of us, and Something was really difficult for me between my tendency for nature protection, for the global protection, for the life and the modern life. And when I came first to learn about cradle, it really twisted all my thinking. And I said, oh, that's what I really want to learn, to know and to be connected to.
0: And how did you first learn about it?
1: Through a friend who met Michael, and then I met him, and I was very much convinced by him.
0: I see. And, and then you somehow, was there a long process to the point where you actually ended up working with the EPEA?
1: Well, I had basic, my experience not was not only in science, but major on, uh, in management of projects, in, pro, in scientific projects and management of teams. And that was really, at that time, was needed here in IPEA, So therefore, it was a good match that I could have the time to come. And uh, for uh, the IPEA it was so necessary at that moment.
0: Okay, so for you, it sounds like it was actually maybe late in your life that you actually started to think in a green sort of way. Or did you, would you say you you weren't really concerned about the state of the planet before
1: then? It's not that I was not concerned I. I did. I was concerned. I was uh, very much concerned, uh, attached to organic agriculture, and I was concerned, but the solutions that I saw around me, what I knew at the time, seemed to me very naive and not practical.
0: Yes, and as they say in the Cradle to Cradle book, maybe not good enough.
1: Yeah, something not... Uh, and also I was thinking about me as a person. I don't want to start... Change my whole life. Or I, if I say it in exaggeration, I have the feeling that people telling me, oh, you should go and again live in the cave. And <laughs> if people will live in the cave, <laughs> then you don't. Uh, everything will be okay. No, <laughs> no pollution, no problems.
0: Yeah. And that's probably not very realistic.
1: Yeah. So only when I'm met this concept, I found, oh, that's what is really needed. I am about my retiring stage in my career, and it was really important for me to do something meaningful, <laughs> and it is, I think, what I'm doing here.
0: Okay, that's great. And so maybe we can jump into what the cradle-to-cradle concept is. Can you just kind of give a, an overview of what it means?
1: Yes, because the cradle-to-cradle is, is a, a kind of a philosophy, a practical way. It has principles. Very simple and basic principles and according to these principles, which are developed in time, the methodology and the tools were developed really to make a change. And uh, if the first principle it was, at that time was called waste equal food. And the meaning is that everything can be like nature, a resource for something else. That there must be, you know, nature, everything is in cycles the carbon has a cycle the water has a cycle the food chain is in a cycle so everything has to be can be food and the nice thing is that from this principle came the tool of uh, differentiating between materials that are going to be in touch with life with organisms with the environment directly and materials that are can be like more in the technical cycle and they can be served again and again in the use of the technical cycle. And from this concept also come the resource management and the thinking about the resources of the globes. and that was one of the first principle. From this principle also developed the idea that things have to be if they are in touch with organisms in life, they have to be healthy. Right. And the very nice idea in the thinking of cradle-to-cradle is that things are not only just be, maybe it belongs to another question of yours, but not only have a minimum footprint, but to be a beneficial footprint, to do something that makes good, and that's also important. The two other principles belong to the energy we use and to the diversity in life, in every aspect of diversity, which is also important.
0: So, just to recap that, you said the first is waste equals food, Uh, the second is energy reuse, and the third was what?
1: Renewable energy, and the third is respect diversity.
0: Okay, so maybe we can just dig into the first one a little bit with an example, waste equals food. What is an example of waste, and in what way would it be food? Are there any, is there a specific example?
1: Yeah, yeah. Everything. Everything around us is an example because every material that we are using is built. Always, if you have a product, and we are talking here about the industry mainly, if you have a product, everything that makes the product is like a meeting place for different materials. In this stage, different materials make it, if it can be a pen or a glass of water or telephone, everything is a bunch of materials together that make this product.
0: Okay, so if I have a pen and then at the end of its life it runs out of ink and then I somehow it is, so the pen is now waste?
1: Yes, it could be. But if it will be designed properly, it can be kind of plastics that you can use afterwards. If you design it in the right way and you take the right plastic and this plastic can be reused again and again, Not exactly as pen, but any other plastic, any other product. Yes,
0: and is what you are referring to, is that somehow different from the type of recycling that we usually do? For example, I put plastic bottles in my recycling bin and they get turned into clothing or or
1: something else. (laughs) Well, it's not completely different. The recycling that is happening now is not bad in the sense that it's kind of education for the public and for the industry. To recycle at all, but the difficulty is that when you put your bottles in the uh, places where they collect them, you have a mixture of different kind of plastics. These plastics were not designed always for this. Sometimes they contain in themselves hazards materials like the inks they have on them or the layers. You know, when you have a can, it's few layers of materials, and some of them are, might be hazard. So. In this sense, the recycling that is done so far is not fully thinkful. Nobody really was thinking what's going... When they designed the bottle, they were not thinking what's going to happen with this. If you have a newspaper and the inks on the newspaper, it's a paper, and the paper can go to the compost. But if the inks in this print are toxic, so they will kill the organism in the compost. So this is... How to shall I say it it's need to be better designed in order to really recycle it in the proper way. You need to have few elements in this recycling one that it's possible to dismantle the parts of it for if you're talking about a telephone or any other technical part, the dismantling way has to be in the design of the product, not afterwards to find out what to do with it if it's say, going to be in the to the Biosphere has to be also designed for it. Non-toxic. So you have, let's take example, uh, cosmetics. You have for the regulation of the cosmetic what is healthy and what is not healthy to use for the cosmetic part. Right. The difficulty, first of all, is not everything that they check. They check what happens when it goes into higher concentrations in areas where it goes to the sewage water. What happens to this?
0: So are you, are you referring, for example, to soap maybe that goes down the drain?
1: Yes, or the silicones that we have in every cosmetic product, in any shampoo, in everything that we have today. You have silicones that are not fully degradable, or some parts of them might be even toxic. And then we come to another issue. There is a lot of power of the organizations until something is out of the list as a banned product. Right. If it has good effect, it takes, for example, we know only that in 2015, the European Commission might decide on the type of silicone that is out of the, not to be used. But so far, as for today, it is in use.
0: So you're saying you're proposing the solution to that is what? Not to wait for regulation?
1: Oh, that's of course, yes. It's hard because the regulation needs evidence which are the... Well, I can see this point, it's not No, I don't want to say something that is wrong, but it's better not to wait for regulation, let's say so.
0: <laughs> Right, and you mentioned earlier about the idea of not only removing the harmful, say, chemicals from products or harmful whatever it is in products that is harmful and actually making the products themselves beneficial. So not bringing it from bad up to neutral, but actually making them good.
1: Yes. Because if they go into the sewage water, they can become to be a nutrient there. Nutrient for plants, nutrient for organisms.
0: I see. And you also mentioned, I think, there's kind of the technical world and then there's the organic yeah. living world. And can you explain a bit about how the, like, there's a food cycle that you would apply to each of those, right?
1: Yes. This is, we call, you can call it a food or metabolism, different kind of metabolism for each part. And you have products, mostly they called products of consumption, that you use them and then throw them away or they are going into the sewage water or go into the biological cycle. That the biosphere can handle them. They can be composted. So it means that there are organisms that they can take it and use it further. As a, as a food or something like this. And we have a product of service, and that's what we have most in our modern life. And this product we use for a certain time after they are not uh, useful anymore. Or do you have a new addition of something, or you want to have a new addition of your new computer or your new cellular. So if it will be designed in a way, the material in this product can be used again in the right form to make other service products, not exactly this product for, uh, but any other product that can use.
0: Right. So I know when I have certain electronic products that stop working, I need to throw them out. I know that there are stores near me that will accept them. hmm They'll somehow recycle them to some extent. True. But I think what you're saying is that those products were not designed in the first place to. Be taken apart and totally kept out of the environment and, and do no damage and be totally reused as something new and so that 's what we need to happen is that, is that what you're you 're saying
1: you're really right yes completely <laughs> you learned the, the <laughs> theory very good yes, because it 's not designed and you need you have another element in this sense and i 'm not uh, thinking it 's it's not an important element it's very, it is important, and that 's the economic part of it if the product was not designed to simple disassembly, then to disassemble it will cost a lot of money. Right. And then people say, oh, it doesn't work to do it. So then we will have a lot of waste, like what's happened now in Africa, that all uh, these products are sold to Africa, and it's not the right way to handle it. First of all, they are not reused, the material is lost, and then we are again producing waste, what we don't want to make. This is the pollution.
0: Right. And so you mentioned earlier that what we need to do is not wait for regulation. So I'm wondering what is the incentive for businesses to actually apply the cradle-to-cradle concept and design the right way from the beginning? Because I kind of intuitively think it's probably going to cost them more.
1: Yes, true. And therefore you can see which are the industries that are more going towards cradle-to-cradle. Basically, you asked me about countries. Yes, there are some countries that are more leading than others. For example, the main country who was leading Cradle to Cradle and is very famous there, even in the street, in the Netherlands. Not only in the industry, but also people knows about it. Also in Denmark, we found that people know about Cradle to Cradle. They learn about it in school. They have social communities about around Cradle to Cradle. In Germany, it's starting to be stronger these days. And we, now we have a kind of a non-profit organization that educate children at school and students about Cradle to Cradle mm. in Germany. So it really works and the wave moves on so people learn about it.
0: And is that kind of one of the main ways that you're spreading awareness of the concept is through education in schools or do you have other
1: methods? I just want to finish another uh, yeah, sure. chapter, okay? Why? The incentive. What is the incentive to do it for the industry? And one of the incentives is for a lot of discussions around indoor air quality. Okay. And people start understanding that the places where they live is one of their problems. That pollution is not only outside of the room, it's very much also inside the room. And therefore, we see that this awareness brought to the situation that the companies who really want to develop themselves, answer this public request for better indoor air quality, are those who are dealing with products inside the house, like flooring, like textiles, like furniture, mainly office furnitures. This uh, industries, this is their main incentive to make good products so they can advertise it as a good product.
0: Okay, so it's because there is, in those industries at least, there is the demand.
1: Yes, true.
0: And are there other industries where it's very difficult and maybe seems even almost hopeless because of the great cost difference and the lack of consumer demand?
1: Yes, I think that in the electronics it's much harder to come to a cradle-to-credit product and therefore it's not so prevailing so much. No, not great demand for this products, but I think it will come later.
0: Okay, and the EPEA, what do you guys do specifically, or how do you help businesses?
1: Well, we work with the industry mainly. We do some educational work, but this is not our main pro- mind. We are a company who gives services to the industry. And when a company comes and they want to make cradle-to-cradle products or to be a cradle-to-cradle company, the best is to start making scoping session with them, see their portfolio of products, learn what benefits they can have, where we can find low-hanging fruit, where we can find different... Because what's very nice in credit, to credit that is a very positive way and innovative way. And we do understand that things have to have their... They can be changed very slowly. You cannot change the hundred years of industrial revolution in one day. Right. So we had to find a way to do it gradually. So we make this scoping session, we find what is best for the company, where they can find better solutions, what is more reasonable for the first year, for the second year, and we made the roadmap.
0: I'm wondering, what is their incentive for approaching you in the first place? Is it the fact that they usually just have some green-minded person within their company who decides that they want to... Try to apply the cradle-to-cradle concept, or is it because they recognize that there's some demand, so they come to you, or is there some other motivation?
1: No, I think it's both. Okay. I think it's both. You cannot differentiate, you know. First of all, those who have this green thinking or they want to make better products probably uh, know it also from the market, so they have to go from both sides. Some people, you know, are very cynical and they say, oh, it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) It's a just nonsense. So these people you will never uh, be able to convince or maybe yes but not uh, so easily.
0: So in that case maybe some people are more low-hanging fruit than others.
1: Yeah, (laughs) true.
0: (laughs) So are you able to give any examples of say a product that the EPA has actually worked on and and how you were involved in what you did?
1: Oh, of course, we have many products, but let's say what, uh, if I told you about indoor air quality, I was thinking, for example, on flooring, and we work with some flooring companies. One of them, for example, was developing that uh, the materials of the of the carpet right. will not be and will not be off-gassing any hazard material because many of the carpets do off-gas hazard uh, chemicals. And we analyzed everything they put there, including the dyes, including the backing of the flooring, and everything was changed according to our recommendation. It's a lot of work because, you know, the supplier, the producer who is doing something buys, he has a very heavy supply chain of all the items. And you have first tier of supply chain and second tier of supply chain. And we need to go to each of the supply chain and learn what they put there what are the chemicals they use so we also serve as a knowledge trustee for them because they don't want to say their no- to give away their know-how but since we are not producers uh ah. we sign with them on an NDA and then we we have this knowledge what what is their know-how what are the real, real chemicals they use
0: uh, that sounds actually like like a pretty important benefit i hadn't thought about that before the mm-hmm. the uh, confidentiality you can kind of be the middleman yeah. and so in that case, you went through the supply chain of the carpet manufacturer.
1: And changed the, the components of the carpet. And while thinking, here is a nice example, while thinking of doing of the benefit, they changed the system or the way they weave the carpets in order to make it now, they call it airmaster, a structure that collects the dust <sighs> inside. So you don't have the dust outside particles, because most carpets, when you walk on them, then the dust jump out. Here, when in this airmaster, only when you vacuum clean it very hardly, then it jumps out.
0: Okay, so you have a carpet now that has no harmful products in it, and it actually pulls dust out of the air, so it's beneficial. But then, to look at kind of the whole cradle-to-cradle picture, what happens to the carpet at the end of its life?
1: Well, the system is that they collect it. One of the services they give when uh, installing the carpet is also that they will take it back.
0: And they take it back and they will turn it into a new carpet?
1: Yeah. They can separate between the materials. That's also part of the design.
0: And I assume most carpets are not designed in a way that they can be easily disassembled?
1: I don't know if they, yes or not, but sometimes the materials are not those that can be recycled again and again, are not thermoplastics. So if they are not built of the right plastic, so you know, not always you can uh, recycle it again and again.
0: Okay, so I'm assuming that in the case of the carpet example, the materials, they actually could be recycled indefinitely?
1: Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> it's not endlessly. I mean, you're not so naive. Some, in a certain cycle, the quality of the plastic is changing. But then you can down cycle it or make it as a cascade. But it's after a few times of a good use.
0: Then it will become, so maybe it might become a carpet, have a few lifetimes as a carpet and then become something else?
1: Yes, like, like plastic in the inner parts of a computer or a refrigerator, the inner parts that you don't see, you can use it there.
0: Mm. And then... Eventually, maybe after a very long period of time, would it need to end up in landfill, or can it theoretically be always recycled back into some sort of industry?
1: Well, I can't tell you that for sure, but there is other ways than incineration. Landfill, it's not accepted at all. You cannot landfill plastic.
0: Yes, unfortunately, it's done quite a bit. Yeah, true.
1: <laughs> 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 and we see the results, the horrible results of it. Yeah, but you can pyrolyze it.
0: Oh, what does that mean?
1: That's a technology that breaks down the polymers into their small units and even just to make again to oil. Oh. And then you can it's pyrolysis system.
0: So it's turning it back into what it originally was? Yes. Ah, very interesting. So one thing I wanted to ask you about is there's the EPEA, which is based in Germany, and then there's also a cradle to cradle organization called c2ccertified.org. Mm-hmm. What is the relationship between the two?
1: Well, basically, Professor Brangard, who is the owner of IPTEA in Hamburg, he's a German. Right. He's also the owner of a company in the United States together with uh, Bill McDonough, they Okay. They share the company called MBDC. And this company has the rights on the certification process cradle-to-cradle certification, and they gave the right to the organization, the C2C certified. So basically, they are in connection. We are working with them, with the C2CPII, and they are the certifying body. We do the work, we do the analysis, but they are the certifying body.
0: Okay, and is there any way for consumers, like if I wanted to buy cradle-to-cradle products that are certified, how would I go about finding them?
1: Well, they have a very nice uh, website, the uh, c2ccertified.org, I think, yes. It's c2ccertified.org. And in this uh, website, you can see all products which were certified and to what level, because, you know, the certification really reflects the concept of gradual change. That you start with something, at least you know what you have in your product, which in most certification, you don't know everything. You right. know that it doesn't contain A or B or C, but you don't know really what in it. So it always reminds me, like, you know, when you say about something that you eat, it's sugar-free. Yes. But is it really diet? <laughs> is it really healthy to you?
0: Yeah, it, it can be sugar-free poison, right?
1: Yes. <laughs> so... It can be sugar-free, but it can be other uh, sets or whatever that are not diet and people are more concerned about their diet. So We see the same with products, with other certifications. And when you do cradle-to-cradle certification, the first thing is that you know everything that you have in the whole uh, supply chain, through the supply chain.
0: And then from there you make gradual improvements?
1: And then you start improving, then you try to find out what is the best to optimize, what can be. Sometimes, you know, the, the science don't have the, the answers, nobody was looking what should be changed, and you don't have the answers. But if you don't define the problems, then how can you find the answers to these problems? Right. And that's the first step. And uh, this is the type, and you can see it also on the website. You see the different levels. You start with basic. Basic is what you know what you have, the first level, the very, very basic. And then you gradually move into bronze, silver, to gold. And in gold, you know that the product is really on the very good level of uh, at least health, sometimes also for reutilization, and energy and water.
0: Okay, so it's basic silver, gold, platinum. Bronze, basic bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. Ah, Okay. And as far as the work that the EPA is doing, I mean, if anyone wanted to somehow get involved and somehow help, either help you guys directly or help promote the cradle-to-cradle concept somehow, is there anything that your organization needs help with or what would you suggest to people who just want to do something?
1: Oh, we really like, we work, we have a system which we call satellites. These are people that are really concerned and they have their own network. They are connected to the industry in a way or to communities. And they they are inspired by the credit-to-credit credit philosophy and they try to promote it. In case they come with a business idea, I mean some company that really want to change and make agreement with us, we do compensate them with money. It's like they, they get some revenue from it.
0: Okay, kind of like they get a cut. Pardon? They sort of get it. If they bring you some business, then they'd get a, a, some sort of cut from that? Yes. Okay, and...
1: So anybody who wants can do it. I mean, the moment, because it, it's, uh, it's open. We don't have any exclusivity agreement about it.
0: Okay, and I'm thinking if someone was both entrepreneurial and green-minded, would you have any direction to point them in, in terms of maybe which industries or types of products are kind of ripe for the application of Cradle to Cradle?
1: Well, basically anyone, but I can tell you the most experience is the textile industry. Okay. The indoor, I mean the flooring, the fr- home furniture, office furniture is very common. Cosmetics, cleaning agents. One of the very strong parts we are working is on packaging, different packaging, because packaging is one of the waste producers. And we have a very nice project, for example, when a company of making beer, they organize because they don't produce not their cans, not their bottles, but they want to have a higher quality in their cans and their bottles, so they make a consortium of their suppliers and try to convince them to do cradle-to-cradle work. So that was that's a very good uh, way to really extend the industries that are involved in this.
0: Okay. So I know we're getting low on time. We've already been generous and gone over the what we had planned. So I just want to follow up with a couple of quick questions. One is, are there any books or documentaries that you would recommend if you could somehow convince everyone on the planet to read something or watch something? Is there anything that you would suggest?
1: Well, I think there are many YouTubes about it. I would suggest one of the YouTube. I can't tell you now which one is the best, but I think that through YouTube is the most appealing. If videos? you want later, maybe I can uh, think about it more deeply, which one I would like to suggest.
0: Yeah, sure, and if you do send me a link, I can post it on the Green Podcast website.
1: Okay, I'll look for it.
0: Okay, and then I'm last question, I'm curious who in the whole kind of environmental movement is someone who you admire the most or admire a lot in terms of what the impact that they're having?
1: Well, I think uh, working with Professor Brangard, I think he is an amazing person.
0: Okay, that's probably, that's a good answer, I think.
1: Yeah, he's a chemist and he really understands the materials and the chemistry and what's really happening. And he was fighting, you know, now many uh, organizations are copying the same system and it's good for the from environmental aspects It's wonderful that people are copying. and But I think Michael, he's for so many years came with these ideas, and really he was for many years alone fighting on this concept. I really admire him for this.
0: Okay, so that is probably a good place to wrap up. I want to thank you very much for being on the the Green Podcast, and (laughs) I really sincerely wish you the best with promoting it, because I am... After reading the two books on it, yeah, I'm definitely sold on the concept, and I hope it spreads fast.
1: <laughs> okay, so we can keep in touch if you have any ideas or if you want some more for me. I will see what I can send you, okay?
0: Okay, that's great. Well, and I'm, and just...
1: I'm very happy about you are uh, involved. <laughs> you like the idea.
0: Yes, definitely. And just for anyone listening, your website is epea.com? Yes. And then the the other website you mentioned is c2ccertified.org. Yeah. So those are probably good places to learn more. And on thegreenpodcast.com, I will post those links and uh, also links to anything else that we mentioned. And you can also find us on iTunes as well as thegreenpodcast.com. So, Rachel, thank you again very much.
1: Thank you, Justin. You're doing good work. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Thanks.